Welcome. This is a message from Victory Church. We trust you'll be inspired and encouraged by today's message. Excellent. You're going well. Cool. Tonight we're talking about a particular subject called money. Everyone say money. money. We're going to be talking about money tonight. And uh, to help me illustrate what it is I want to share, I want to ask the question, how many of you have ever played this game before? Monopoly. I don't know how popular it is today, but uh, back in the day when I was a kid growing up, um, we had a lot of fun playing Monopoly. Um, Basically, uh, the game, who remembers what the game is all about? It's about money. Is that right? It's about money. And it's about um, buying It's about selling, it's about investing, it's about uh, getting as much property as you can, putting other people out of business. Whoever won Monopoly? Who's good at Monopoly? Who thinks they are the best Monopoly player going around? Who remembers? Who remembers what colour the hotels were? They were red. And the houses? Red and green. That's right. Who remembers some of the little uh, icons? The what? There's a dog? The car. The car rocked. I mean, it only makes sense when you think about getting around a board as quick as you can. You've got to have the car. Who had fights over the car? Who wanted to be the car? Anyone want to be the shoe? (laughs) Have you noticed they didn't even bother making a cat? No one would want to be a cat. Have you noticed that? And if they did have a cat, we would have just thrown it out. And then had chance cards and community chest cards and, and all the rest of it. And we had a lot of fun playing that as a kid growing up. Sometimes I won, most of the times I lost. We had a few arguments. I think most of the time in the Rainbow Household, we just got bored and left for the game. How many of you got bored playing Monopoly? Just took forever. Um, well, you know, that, that's, that's Monopoly. And uh, as I've said before, um, the idea was to get as much money as you can, Monopoly money. And um, at the end of the day, you buy all you can, you dominate the game, you monopolize the game, and you put others out of business, and you are declared the winner. But here's the interesting thing about the game. At the end of the day, no matter who won, no matter who lost, no matter who was the dog or the shoe, the cannon or the wheelbarrow or any other icon in there, at the end of the day, whatever you acquired, all went back in the box. You couldn't actually say, you know, uh, I am now rich and go to McDonald's and start buying things with this money. You couldn't go to Maya and you couldn't go to Tarakash and you couldn't go to uh, YD and where else couldn't we go to? Bunnings. (laughs) Coming over to the young area, I did not expect to hear Bunnings, but hey, that's fine. (laughs) But basically, at the end of the game, 
at the end of the game, you couldn't do anything with the money. It just went back in the box. Yeah? So you could dominate the game. You could have all these hotels and all these buildings and have all the monopoly money there is, but at the end of the day, it all goes back in the box. Monopoly is a lot like life. Because at the end of the day, no matter what you go on to become, no matter what you go on to do, no matter what you go on to achieve, no matter how much money you earn, And no matter what uh, great things you go on to do and achieve in life, and no matter how many homes you own, or hotels for that matter, or holiday shacks, or cars, or bikes, or whatever else it is that takes your fancy, no matter what it is that you own, in the end, we all end up in the box. In other words... Just like we can't take Monopoly money with us and spend it, we can't take the money that we earn through all of our hard work with us when we die. We all end up back in the box. And so my question is, what is the purpose of our existence? What is the purpose of going to work and making money? What is the purpose of getting our degrees? And what is the purpose of going to school and university? What is the purpose of going to work? What is the purpose of having a home? What is the purpose of having a car? That's what this whole series has been about, that we understand something of why we are here. That we understand our purpose for life. And in understanding our purpose for life, we would not go around and waste our life but that we'd make the very most of it. And so tonight, I want to touch on the controversial subject of money. I want to look at us not wasting our money because money is a resource. Now, I know some of you are here for the very first time and some of you have bad experiences about church and money, but I want you to bear with me because I know this subject that I'm talking about tonight affects every one of you. In actual fact, I reckon in the last week, every one of you has had a conversation about money. That's how relevant this subject is. In actual fact, I imagine most of us in this room have had a conversation about money today. In actual fact, if you are married in this place, I would imagine at least 50% of all your arguments are over this one thing, money. And I realise we talk about it so much because it consumes our thinking and we argue about it so much because we don't fully understand the purpose of this resource called money. And this whole series is about us giving purpose to what it is God has called us to, what it is He's called us and put in our hand, and that we may make the very most of it. Now, I realise that there are some churches that have had some media attention um, that have uh, done the wrong things with money in the past. But can I just say this? The answer to abuse is never no use, but correct use. And so we can't go around saying, because somebody did you wrong, because somebody did you harm, because you know of a church that ripped somebody off and that somebody may have been you, you can't go around for the rest of your life and use that as an excuse not to come into contact with God's purpose for the things of money. The answer to abuse is not no use, but correct use. 
Some people have been abused by marriage and so they, they'll never get married again. But that's not necessarily the answer. The answer to abuse is not no use, it's correct use. And can I just say this? For every horror story that the church has in and around the subject of money, like Billy Graham said, there are many aeroplanes that take off and land at their destination with no problem whatsoever and you never hear about them. You only ever hear about the planes that crash and don't make their destination. And for every church that has done the wrong thing with the money that you may have heard about, know this, there are thousands and thousands and thousands of churches that have been faithful stewards with what God has given and done the right thing. And we never hear about it because that doesn't make for a good news story. And so just because you've heard of a few horror stories, know this, that for every horror story, there is hundreds and thousands of churches and hundreds and thousands of church leaders and pastors doing the right thing with finance who are finding the courage like I am tonight to be able to speak into this subject so that we are not governed by our finances, that we don't end up splitting up over our finances, but that we find the right purpose in our finances tonight. And so that's what I want to share about tonight. And so my whole purpose tonight is really to give us a healthy perspective and a healthy view, a healthy biblical view about our finances. And what I want to do is read a story from the, chapter, from the book of Luke. Luke is in the New Testament. It's one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke. Luke verse 16. Sorry, chapter 16, verse 9. Follow me on your iPads, on your Bibles, or on the screen. That would be great. It says, Jesus told his disciples, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. And so he called him in and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be my manager any longer. The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do. When I lose my job here, uh, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called them each one to his master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly and make it 450. Then he asked the second, how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are shrewd in dealing with their own kind than the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it is gone, you'll be welcomed into um, eternal dwellings. This is a confusing portion of Scripture. I've read this many times and I want to tell you right now, I don't fully understand it. But there are some things I do understand about this scripture and it should be very helpful in helping us understand a few things when it comes to our finances. The question is not, don't worry about what you don't understand, just concern yourself with the things you do understand. And I want to point some things out of this portion of scripture today to help us understand finance better than we ever have before. And the first thing I want to look at is simply this. According to this story that Jesus told, we can see from this story that you and I are not the owners. We are mere managers. The parable starts was there is a rich man who gave to his managers a job to do. Everything we have in life has been given to us by God. 
We've got to get this into our thinking. The moment we start thinking, it's mine, I've worked hard, I studied hard, and so what I get is mine, what you need to understand is all the opportunities that were given to us were given to us by God. Nothing is ours. It all belongs to God. I remember taking our kids to McDonald's and I bought them their Happy Meals. This is when they were much younger. And um, I didn't fancy anything. But you know when you get in the car and you start smelling the chips and you start smelling the burger and you start smelling all those wonderful things and, and I, just, oh, I, I just fancy a chip. Now, what you need to understand is I purchased the fries. I purchased the burger. I purchased the chocolate thick shake with my money. And all I asked is a couple of fries in return. It wasn't even a tithe. It's just a couple of fries. The, the smell got the better of me. And I'm not going to dob any of my kids in, because to be honest, I think they've all been guilty of this at different times, as we all have. And I'll never forget asking for a fry or two. And this is the reply I got. No, they're mine. I'm thinking, you cheeky little... Mine, what you're calling mine, you wouldn't have even had if I didn't pay for it. Can you see where I'm going with this? We think we've achieved so much. We think we've done so much because of all the study and all the hard work. And you know, kudos to you if that's the case. And, I, and I, I'm an advocate for hard work and hard study, etc. But know this, none of it would be possible if we didn't have air to breathe. None of it would have been possible if we were not conceived in the very first place. How many of you had anything to do with your conception? No. No. These are all miracles of God. These are all miracles of God. The fact that you are good at certain things, the fact that you think a certain way, the fact that you act a certain way, the fact that you are just able to do certain things that others find really difficult, it's all a gift from God. Know this. We are not owners. We are mere managers. Not just of our finances, but everything we have. And so let us not get so caught up with the fact that everything is mine. Because at the end, we will go back in the box. First thing I get from this story is that we are not the owners. We are simply the managers. Some of you younger ones who are living with your mum and dad know this to be true. You have a place where you sleep and you call it your bedroom, but it's not your bedroom. Because you're not paying for the mortgage. It's an area that you've been given to manage. So manage it well. Am I right? You're getting this? You know the moment you agree, you're getting yourself in trouble. You know that, don't you? Can I just say for all of us house owners, you don't own your home. Every time we pay our tax bills, proves that we don't own it. We can't just, we can't just, just plonk a house and, and just there's no rates. No, no, we are subject to the land and the law of the land. We don't own anything. Not really. We're just managers. The question is, how well are we going to manage that which we've been given? 
Secondly, we will all have to give an account. We will all have to give an account. No matter what you have, no matter how much you have, no matter how little you have, we've got to give an account for what we have. The rich man came to his manager and said, give me an account for what you've been doing. We will have to give an account for what we've been given. Be that our finance, be that our time, be that our opportunities. Do you know, we have an incredible opportunity in this church to reach our community And probably the greatest opportunity we have right now, probably our greatest missional front is that of our cafe, Origin Coffee Bar. It brings in more people from our community, more unchurched people than any other ministry that we run in this church. And Donna heads up that ministry. And Donna has her hand up every week saying, I need volunteers, I need help. This is a good investment If you you are serious about reaching our community, there is no better ministry right now than to get involved in our cafe ministry. And I would encourage you to make the most of your opportunity. Don't waste your time. Who knows how long it is before we are in here. And we would have to give out an account for what we did with our time. Maybe there are some unemployed people here right now. I would suggest that you let Donna know that you're unemployed and until you get a job, you can make yourself available. You know, yesterday at the cafe, we had our busiest day on record. An average Sunday outdid any public holiday that we are open, any school holiday that we've been open, and it even outdid our grand opening when we had um, um, MPs here and we put on a big fanfare and we did a whole heap of advertising. Yesterday, we had more people through the cafe than ever before. We had a greater uh, income than ever before, and it's an incredible opportunity for us just to be sitting at home wishing we had a job. This is an opportunity missed. For maybe some of our older ones who, are, who find themselves retired now. Can I just say, you know, you, like none of us in this place, we, we don't know how long we've got. But it might be fair to say that if you're older, you have less time on this earth than some of our younger people. You're going to find yourself in the box quicker than maybe some of our younger ones. And you have an opportunity to make the most of your retirement than just sitting around doing your garden, doing your house, cooking and baking. But you have an opportunity to make your life count and make a difference and leave a legacy. Before Denise passed away and went to be with the Lord, she was a fireball right up until the end, giving herself and volunteering her time looking after a group of people in our church and firing them up. What a privilege, what an honour. What an honour. It's a sad day. Even if you live to be 100 years of age and all you've got is we sailed around the world. What a sad thing report back to God at the end of the day. I sailed around the world. 
When I died, I had five homes. It gets pretty shallow knowing that you can't take any of that with you. But what you can take into eternity is the legacy that you've impacted people. And people think differently. And think, people think more godly as a result of you being here on planet Earth. That there's a younger generation who are in good hands because of the legacy that you left. We're all going to have to give an account. And the two greatest questions we have to answer, every person has to answer these two questions. God's going to want to know, number one, what did you do with his son? What did you do with Jesus? Did you mock him? Did you ridicule him? Did you ignore him? Or did you receive him? Did you honor him? What did you do with his son? And the second thing is, what did you do with what he gave you? They're the two life questions that we have to answer. What did we do with God's son? And what did we do with what God gave us? And they're the two questions that motivate and drive my life. That's what's behind this series tonight. First thing is, we're not the owner. Second thing is, we've got to give an account. And the third thing is, invest in something that matters. The local church is a good investment. It makes sense to invest in the local church. Why do I say that? Because it's what Jesus died for. It's the only thing that Jesus is building. And it's the only thing that Jesus is coming back for. That makes the, this investment better than any other investment on the planet. Hey, invest in other things by all means, but let it not be at the expense of the local church. The local church is the greatest investment that there is because Jesus died for the local church, because Jesus is building the local church, and Jesus is coming back for the local church. I'm not sharing these things because I happen to lead a local church. This is a conviction of mine long before I ever led a church. Just understood the value of understanding what Jesus Christ did for me and has done for the local church. We see the manager in this story. He was sacked. His boss was not impressed with him. But this is where it takes a twist in the story. He said, what shall I do now? I love it. This man was not so consumed with his past. Even though he displeased his master, he said this, what must I do now? What can I do now? In other words, he had an understanding that it's never too late to turn things around. What can I do now? Hey, maybe you've lived a fairly selfish life until now. Now can change everything for you. And then he proceeds to move quickly. I would say for any of us in this room, the two things we can learn from this guy is that he understood the power of now and he knew how to move quickly. And so he said, what can I do now? He had this idea and he began to move quickly. And he started going around to all the people that owed the, the company money. And he said, how much, do you, how much money do you owe my boss? How much money do you owe him? And they said, well, you know, kind of 900 bucks. He says, cool, make it 450. Excellent, good. Uh, how much do you owe? I, I, I owe $1,000. How 
How about you make it 800? They say, wow. That, that, that's a discount. That's great. 20% discount, 50% discount. And he was able to bring his master something. And everyone knows in this room that something is better than nothing. And so he was commended. Instead of sitting back, sucking his thumb, saying, you don't understand, I never... He did something. He acted shrewdly. And get this, his master commended him. He actually got the approval of his former boss. And I imagine he gained favour with those who he gave the discount. And just maybe he was able to walk into a job for them, having looked after them. And the master goes, wow. That's pretty shrewd. It's pretty shrewd. And it goes on to say, use your wealth to gain friends. And the principle here is that we've got to use what we give, we've got been given to help people. And it has an eternal consequence. How we use our finances has eternal consequences. That's what this scripture is saying here. Because where your treasure is, it says in Matthew, that's where your heart is. It's fair to say that whatever you love is what you're going to give yourself to. Yeah? And this is the ultimate test of our faith and it's the ultimate test of our love. See, people never fully give their lives to Jesus. They never fully give their hearts to Jesus because they never fully give their treasure to him. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, it says, Command those that are rich. Command those that are rich to give. You might say, that's right, Tony, preach it. Command those rich people in this room to give. I could do with a few extra dollars. What you need to understand is everyone in this room is rich. If you have running water, if you go home tonight to a house with running water, you're in the top 5% of all people in the world. You're rich. And the command that's been given to you and me is to give. And what better entity to give to than the local church that can steward your giving well to make sure it gets in the best possible hands to help people because there's a bearing on our eternity. Having hopefully made my point loud and clear, let me get really practical. I want to look at four things that we should do with our money. Very quickly, I can do this in five minutes. Four things that we can do. Having established the need that we need to be good stewards with our finance. The first one would simply be this. That we need to tithe. Tithing is a biblical principle where you give 10% of your gross income to the local church. Some might argue that this is just an Old Testament practice and you don't have to practice it in the new. Can I just say that is not true? Abraham, before the law was introduced, 400 years before the law, Abraham knew what it was to give a portion of his income to God. 
Isaac, his son, followed suit. This is before the law was instituted. Jesus in Matthew 23, verse 23, said you should tithe. Paul addressed the Corinthians and said, set aside a certain sum of money in keeping with your income. If you want to describe tithing without using the word tithing, how would you describe it? Well, it's a portion of your income. And he says, do that on the first day of the week. What's the first day of the week? Sunday. In Hebrews chapter 7, it talks about a man by the name of Melchizedek. And he was the one who stood before Abraham, whom Abraham tithed to. And it says in Hebrews chapter 7 that Melchizedek was a type of Christ. He was like Christ. And if Melchizedek was worthy of a tithe, how much more Jesus? I would encourage every one of you to tithe. Part of being a leader of a local church is not to tell you what to do, it's to lead by example. I have been tithing for as long as I can remember. In my teenage years, I made the decision, I'm going to tithe. And what I've learned is I've never been without. God always drives your dollar further. He can do more with your 90% than you can with your 100%. It doesn't make sense, but that's where faith comes in. So I would say, firstly, tithe. You can't outgive God. Tithing is a tangible way to say, I love God by putting God first in our finance. Whatever you love, you always give first. You see, I don't want to be a Christian that believes all the verses there are in the Bible about heaven but believe none of the ones that talks about money. Have you noticed that? A lot of Christians, they they can quote and know all the ones about heaven, but what about the ones about money? Jesus spoke more about money than faith, hope and love put together. You wouldn't like, if you don't like listening to a sermon on money, you wouldn't like Jesus. Jesus spoke a lot about money and what to do with it. So I would say, number one, tithe. Number two, live according to your means. We have a responsibility to manage the 90% well. And so don't spend money that you don't have on things you don't need. Where we tend to get ourselves in trouble is we just want things. You're walking along the shop and you see something and oh, I want that. How many of you have ever been watching television and you're not really hungry, but the adverts come on and you see a couple of adverts advertising certain foods and you think, oh, I could go up burger. And you say, honey, I'll be back and you just find yourself driving to the burger shop. You don't need it. Manage the 90% well. Let, let's not get into this trap of comparing ourselves with others. Just because somebody has a brand new car, it doesn't mean they are being materialistic. It doesn't mean they're being selfish because you don't know what they've done with the other portion of their money. Whether you can afford a brand new car depends on whether you can afford a brand new car. As I would say, live according to your means. Someone once said that if you live like no one else, then one day you can live like no one else. Wow. Thirdly, be generous. 
Generosity is something we do over and above our tithe. In actual fact, when you, when you give of the tithe, you're not actually giving anything. You're just being obedient. Because it, it doesn't actually belong to you. Who here has ever gone to the library, borrowed a book, and having read it, you go and return it? How many of you are feeling generous that you returned the book? I'm so generous. Gave that book. No, no, no. You just gave what didn't belong to you. That's the tithe. To be generous would take one of your own books and give that to the library. That's, that's when generosity kicks in. Not returning to the library a book that belongs to them. Generosity is fun. And if you can set aside in your budget an opportunity just to be generous. We have needs in this church all the time. Disasters happen all the time in this world. You have an opportunity to be generous. You might see somebody who's struggling to pay their, their, their shopping bill. You have an opportunity to be generous. This is where it gets fun. Where we can do random acts of kindness. Kath was in line the other day. And, and this woman was struggling to pay. and She couldn't work a card or something like that. And, and Kath just took up a bill. And I mean, there was this, almost this fight on because you know, she wanted to pay Kath back and go, give me her address. Said, Don't worry about it. Just leave it. It's fine. It's fun. It's kind of like Arrow. Who's into the new Arrow series? He kind of just incognito comes and rescues the day and ticks off. That could be you and I just doing random acts of kindness and generosity. And people are like, who was that guy? Who was that guy? They're trying to draw a sketch of you. It gets fun. Who would agree that the world would be in a better place if we were more generous? Who agrees that we'd be in a better place if we were more stingy? Who thinks the world needs more stinginess? So you agree with me. You think the world would be better if we were more generous. Then, then why would we leave that to the world? Why don't we set the trend? Why don't we lead the way? Why don't we start buying homes and cars according to our means so that we can actually be generous instead of hocking ourselves up to debt to live a lifestyle we can't afford? Seriously, I would downsize my home, downsize my car. I'd downsize anything in order to get this right. Because one day, I'm going to end up here and I'm going to have to give an account. Because the trouble is with you, you used all your finance on you. Which says one thing, you love you more than anyone or anything else, including me. You can't spend all your money on yourself and your family and then say, no, I love people. You can't. Probably the greatest test of our love is, is the parting of our money. And we have this incredible opportunity every week, every day. Tonight, there'll be some people who would probably love a coffee but just maybe can't afford it. We have an opportunity to be a blessing. There's so many creative ways you can be generous. And the last thing I would simply say is guilt-free spending. Guilt-free spending. When you give to God first and you live according to your means and you're a generous person, there's going to be money left over. And you'll be able to spend without the guilt. 
And you better go on a holiday and pay for it before you go on holiday as opposed to have to pay it when you come back. That's miserable. And so it's not all hard work and no play. I think if we get this right, we can enjoy the best of both worlds. And so tithe, live according to your means, be generous, and embrace some guilt-free spending. Now what that means for one person and somebody else, that guilt-free spending could be a brand new dress. For someone else, it could be a holiday to Hawaii. That's where you can't compare. But what I want to break is the the poverty mentality that says, I couldn't possibly have anything new because. And and if God's put that on you, where you just don't want to live a certain lifestyle because you want to use all your money just to help and bless, that's fine too. We don't want to put that on everybody. And so I'm trying to just give a well-balanced, across-the-board teaching on our finances. For the young ones who are getting pocket money and or they've just got their first part-time job, I would, I, would, I would encourage you, don't wait till you've got a proper job or a full-time job. Start where you are. Our kids have got pocket money ever since they were very young and they've always given 10% as a tithe, 10% as an offering. They save 10% and they can do what they like with the rest. This is, this is not something that I teach just to fill space. It's, it's, it's a conviction of mine. It's a conviction of mine. And if what you want, you can't afford out of that weekly's 70%, then save it up until you can afford it. Do you know the number one reason that people end up separating in marriage is over finance? Because we get in too much debt that we can't service. And as a church, we're just trying to help as best we possibly can in every way we can. The Bible says, don't give reluctantly, but give joyfully. In my time as a Christian, I've seen three types of givers. If our musicians can come, that'd be great. There are those that are sad givers. When the offering comes around, they give, but they give sad. (laughs) Goodbye, old friend. The Bible says, don't be a sad giver. There are other ones that are mad givers. They're as mad as heck. They just fight you every time. There's mention of money. And then there's a third group. It's the group the Bible talks about, glad givers. You can be a sad giver, a mad giver, or a glad giver. It's up to you. But when you think about what God is actually asking of us, in light of what He's actually done for us, It's a pretty good deal for us. He's not really asking much. One day, every one of us, just like the Monopoly money, is going to go back in the box. And all the things that we thought were so important at that moment are not going to seem that important. None of us know how long we have on planet Earth. Hey, maybe some of the old ones will outlive us, younger ones. Who knows? But this I know. 
Every one of us has an appointment with death, and it's an appointment none of us will be late for. You might have been late for every other appointment in your life, but this one you will not be late for. And it would be a miss of me or any of our pastoral team not to share these truths with you. Because we don't want you to get to heaven ignorant. We want to know what you're buying into. I'm so convinced about what I'm talking about. That if you, even if, even if you didn't give to this church, but you gave to some other, give. I'm convinced. But it makes sense to give to the local church where you get fed. I mean, can you imagine eating at McDonald's but paying at Hungry Jack's? I mean, can you imagine that? It doesn't work. Come on, let's stand to our feet. This is the end of the message. Thank you for taking the time to listen, and God bless.